The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome back a friend, a wonderful dietitian, and cookbook author, Jill Nussenau. Jill describes herself as not only a registered dietitian, but a culinary educator. And she is teaching something that's kind of scary to me, and that's pressure cooking. And she's been teaching pressure cooking throughout the United States for more than 15 years. Jill was my guest previously because she's also the author of an award-winning cookbook called The Veggie Queen, Vegetables Get the Royal Treatment. And with so much emphasis on eating more fruits and vegetables to stay healthier and lose weight and get trim and fit and healthy and prevent chronic disease, but also with the constraints of working and trying to get a meal on the table quickly, I felt that Jill would be a terrific guest. So, Jill, welcome. Thank you for having me, Melinda. Well, Jill, we've known each other for many years through our professional organization, the American Dietetic Association, and I wanted to have you on because you're just a model of how to eat well quickly and really not very expensively. So how did you come from the same background that all dietitians come from? You know, we have our dietetic program. How did you go from our basic training to being a culinary educator? Well, it's an interesting story. I was actually in private practice, and I was seeing patients or clients, and it was a little more than 25 years ago, and I was working with a man who did marketing, and he said to me, what else can you do? And I said, well, I can teach people how to cook. Now, I don't really know why I said that, except I thought that I could, And it turned out there was a cooking school down the street, and I had a client who had a nice house and kitchen, and I said to her, can you invite, like, five friends over, and I'll do the class? And she did, and I taught the class, and then I taught it at the cooking school, and I've been going pretty much ever since. You're based in California, and you also teach at a community college. Is that correct? Yes, I'm on the, um, I'm an adjunct chef instructor at the Santa Rosa Junior College. And we have a culinary program. And so I teach what I call the oddball classes. What have your students taught you? My students have taught me to pay attention to what it is that people really don't know in the kitchen, which is a lot. And, you know, I think what happens is is cooking is an art and it's a science, but it's also a practice. Mm. And so you only get better if you practice. Yeah, I like that. I look at cooking also as a survival skill. And it's something that I've told my children when they were young is that you've got to learn how to feed yourself. Because if you don't know, then what's going to happen is you're going to have to depend on someone else for the very thing that keeps us going every day. I think it was MFK or was it MFK, MFK, Fisher. MFK Fisher who said, first we eat and then we do everything else. Right. And we take for granted the importance of eating well. I think in our profession we certainly focus on food as medicine. But in theory, you know, getting the food from whether you're going to a farmer's market or your own garden or a supermarket and getting that healthy food on the table, 
there's a wide chasm in between. And what I have learned over the years, similar in decades length, is that many people don't know how to cook anymore. And I was thinking about that this morning when I was getting ready for this interview, that my mother's mother never really taught her to cook. And consequently, I didn't really learn many cooking skills from her. So if we don't have role models at home to teach us, where and how do we learn? Well, I think the the good part about this time right now is there's a lot of opportunities. It's kind of funny because the Food Network has become so popular, but you can't really learn how to cook from watching it. But, you know, there are programs like the program where I teach, and there's a lot of the number of schools where they teach cooking, like home cooking, has grown from something like 200 to 2,000. I mean, it's like some huge number. I don't know the exact numbers, but a lot. So there are many of those opportunities. And I would say about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I said to the head of my department, I said, you know, we need that class, How to Boil Water. Mm. And he said, I think you're right. And he said, you know, we actually have it on the books. Mm. It had been on the books like probably since the early 80s. And we resurrected it, and we have an eight-week how-to-cook class, which people, which we don't always offer because of budgetary reasons, but it's really essential. And that's one of the things I love about pressure cooking because if you can throw things in a pot and turn the heat on and pay a little bit of attention, you can actually cook. Yeah, okay, that brings us to the title of your latest book, The New Fast Food. The Veggie Queen Pressure Cooks Whole Food Meals. And then you have in a little circle in less than 30 minutes, like, oh, by the way. Now, I've told you before that I have a fear of pressure cookers. There's the whole idea that they could blow up in my face. They're kind of tricky. And you've constantly reassured me that pressure cooking really is quick and easy and anybody can do it. So should we first cover some of the fear issues that I know I'm not alone with? Oh, you know, I joke, and it's certainly not a joke, that if I had a dollar for every person who told me that they were afraid of the pressure cooker, I probably wouldn't work at all. Right. Because people are afraid. There's two camps. Either people are afraid or they know nothing, and they're like, why do I need another thing in my kitchen? So the fear factor is that there were issues or there were some potential issues with the pressure cooker probably 40 years ago, maybe even a little longer that really did happen. The old pressure cookers had a little thing on top, and it jiggled and went, and my mother had one of those, and I actually was really afraid of that thing because things could happen, and one time something happened, and I was like, oh, no, I'm never going to do that. But I was a vegetarian, and I love beans, and so I was like, I have to figure out a way to make these beans better. And I heard about the pressure cooker, and I thought, I'm going to try it. I actually ended up returning my very first pressure cooker because I was afraid to take it out of the box. Hmm. And so one of my roles and what I do is encourage people to take it out of the box and put water in it or make stock because either one of those things are very safe. But the new pressure cookers, which have been around since the late 1980s, possibly before because they've been used in Europe, they have like five safety mechanisms and they cannot blow up. They will burn dry before anything happens. So I know that we don't accept advertising on our program, but I do want to ask you what some of your favorite pieces of equipment are. Like as as someone who's starting out, 
which which brands of pressure cookers have you found to be most user friendly? There's one brand I absolutely love, which is more expensive, which is called the B slash R slash K. B slash R slash K. Okay. Yes, and in my book on page 12, I talk about my boyfriends because that's what I call them because the first one I didn't know about the second one and I thought the first one was great and I just kept going. So the BRK is the one that I have had most recently and I love it, but it's a high-end pressure cooker. There's another pressure cooker which I use often and it's called a Fager, F-A-G-O-R. And that one is one that you can get at like Bed Bath & Beyond, Macy's, um, Target, online, easy to get, fairly inexpensive, and generally very good. And these are, I'm assuming, made of, are they stainless steel or what is the metal? They're stainless steel. You can't can still get aluminum pressure cookers, and I really encourage people not to because I don't think you want to use aluminum for cooking, even though it does conduct heat. So stainless steel pressure cooker, they're wonderful. If you want to do nonstick, you can do things in there without oil, and they tend not to stick. So the big thing when you're getting a pressure cooker is the size. Okay. And what are you recommending for someone who has, say, well, let's let's it, what do you prefer? Well... So if I'm cooking mostly for myself or myself and my husband and I don't really care much about leftovers, I would use a four-quart or a three-and-a-half-quart. Okay. I recommend for most people because they're going to want to cook more. If you ever want to cook more and you can only fill them half to two-thirds full, that you get a six-quart. And for some people who are cooking for four or five people, you want to get an eight-quart. All right. So if a person was going to buy one size sort of, you know, to fit all needs – you would go with the six to eight quart? I would. Uh, you can cook like one cup of rice or one cup of beans in an eight quart cooker. It's not especially efficient. And that's the other part about pressure cooking is it's very eco-friendly. Right. Because you're cutting down on energy uses, usage by 50 to 70%. Well, that's what I love about this. So not only is it quick and easy, as you say, we're going to get into more of that later, yeah. but it's also because if in all the articles that I've read about how to green your kitchen and be a more eco-friendly cook, using less energy is critical. So that's another advantage to using pressure cookers. Right. I say it will save people and the planet. Oh, that's nice. All right. So let's talk about some of the constraints, at least in my own mind. And I love that you brought up beans. Now, I pretty much cook beans from scratch anymore because a, I don't want to use canned beans because, with few exceptions, most canned food contains BPA in the lining, and that is bisphenol. It's an endocrine disruptor, and it's in most canned foods. So that is a big warning to consumers. But if we cook beans from scratch, there's such a big time constraint. Like if I come home from work and decide, you know, I want to make a black bean burrito, well, you know, I should have thought of that yesterday. You're saying I can cook the beans in the pressure cooker, but don't they clog up the mechanism? There are only a couple of types of beans that actually do, and uh, black soybeans is one of them. And with that, you just add a little bit of oil, and I think there's one other. But generally, no, they don't, um, which is why you can only fill it half full with beans. Okay. But you can do beans from directly from dry to cook. Like black beans take... 25 minutes at pressure, which means it takes, you put liquid in and you bring it 
to a boil and it hits the top and the little button goes up and then you start timing and you turn the heat down and then it's 25 minutes there and the time it takes to come down. So I'm going to guess black beans probably take about 35 to 40 minutes from start to finish from dry. Now when I can, when I remember, I pre-soak. And when I pre-soak, it can either be a quick soak, which you put the three inches of water above the beans, bring it to a boil for one minute, and let it sit for an hour, or I soak overnight. When and you... then that takes, that's the amazing part, that takes about six minutes at pressure. Wow. Now, when you're teaching people how to cook these different items in the pressure cooker, what are their big aha moments? Are they, are they surprised about the beans mostly? Or, you know, what are they saying to you? What, have, what has their learning curve looked like? I think once people see it in action, they're like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. And the first thing that I have people do is make stock because it's just water and vegetables or whatever you're putting in there. And it's really easy and you can see that it you can make something really quickly. Before we started talking, you told me that there was some science to cooking in the pressure cooker, that it was a different kind of reaction with the cells of the plants. Can you expand on that? I will. And you know, it's so funny because I've been teaching pressure cooking for more than 15 years. I know that the food comes out tasting great. It comes out looking great. Like you cannot compare the color of broccoli or carrots or purple cauliflower, anything to what you can cook on the stovetop. You just can't set the color the way you can with the pressure cooker. I didn't really understand that, but I was reading this incredible book by Russ Parsons called How to Read a French Fry, and he talked about the the cell walls of vegetables and what happens and how thick they are. And as I read that, the light bulb came on for me, and I went, oh, the steam in the pressure cooker is breaking down those cell walls, and at the same time, whatever flavor you put in there is getting infused into the vegetable. So it's actually a scientific thing that happens that I have tried to repeat in a pan that you cannot do because instead of cooking at 212 or even lower if you're not boiling, you're cooking at about 250 because you have boiling water that turns to steam under pressure in a pot. If you're just joining us, we are speaking about the fascinating cooking methods that we can do in a pressure cooker, and we are speaking with Jill Nussenau. She is a culinary educator, a registered dietitian, a prolific freelance writer. She has been teaching pressure cooking and general cooking, vegetarian cooking in particular, throughout the United States for more than 15 years. Jill, I have to ask you, so along this line then, there are people who are focused on raw foods, right? They they say, oh, no, you don't want to cook your food. And now with the pressure cooker, we're actually cooking at a higher temperature but for shorter time. What are we doing to the nutrient quality of our food? I get asked this question probably once a week. And, you know, I don't really know because I, I'm not in the pot and I don't know. I can only tell you what my gut tells me and what my eyes tell me, which is, the color, shape, and texture of the food remain intact, mm. um, which means that when you cook a, a soup on the stovetop, you know, sometimes you put the potatoes in, they start breaking down. When you put the carrots in, maybe they're a little mushy. That doesn't really happen with the pressure cooker. And the studies that have been done have shown that you actually have more vitamin C retention in the pressure cooker 
than versus other ways. And I think the reason is because you are you don't have that air component mm. that you have with the other cooking methods. That's so right. you you aren't gonna lose a little, but I think you gain two. I would have expected the vegetables to become mushy. Well, when you can cook broccoli in one minute under pressure or like kale or collards in two minutes under pressure and beets or potatoes at three minutes under pressure you're not cooking for very long, but because of that heat, it gets into the vegetable and you actually get a firmer product. Hmm. All right. Now, you talk about timing. In Chapter 3 is devoted to timing as everything. It seems like we're talking about such a short amount of time. To be able to go from from harvest to table in literally minutes, but what about the cleanup? Is there a big cleanup factor? Well, basically, you have one pot, and so, no, it's very fast to clean up. In fact, my favorite classes to teach are all pressure cooking because I might walk in with four pressure cookers, and after, you know, an hour and a half or two hours, however long the class is, I walk out with four clean pressure cookers, and it took almost nothing to clean up. What if you want to do rice and beans? Can you do them together, or do you have to do them separately? It depends on what kind of rice and what kind of beans, and you can do them together if the time is the same. I have a recipe which I'm going to revise, which is for um, moros y cristianos, and so it's black beans and rice, and the traditional rice is white rice, but I want to change that to brown rice. And they can be cooked together. The result, though, is a little bit mushy white rice and cooked black beans. So there's just a fine line in between. But you can cook some together. And I learned this when cooking for my late dog. I started cooking, like, red rice or various kinds of rice and throwing in mung beans or azuki beans, which are quick-cooking beans, and cooking them together, and they're delicious. So how long is a typical cooking class with you with regard to the pressure cooker? Can you learn this relatively quickly? Is it better to take a week-long class? What is the learning curve here? Well, most of my classes are usually two to three hours, and you can usually learn as much as you need to know in that time. And you also have videotapes, right? I have a DVD, and I produced the DVD because I had a chapter in my first book, The Veggie Queen, on pressure cooking, and people kind of glossed over it. And the people who did look at it still didn't understand. And I thought, you know, if people could see this, they would get it. And literally, the first person who ordered the video, she sent a message back and said, I have two pressure cooking cookbooks, and this is the first time I really understand how to do it. And I also have uh, videos on YouTube under The VQ. Okay, so on YouTube, we can go and we can learn how to use our pressure cookers. Absolutely. This is amazing. Well, the rest of the, the book is really a cookbook and a hand-holding guide, and your recipes are absolutely delicious. And I knew that from your previous book, The Veggie Queen, people were going to be in for a treat, and there are so many glorious vegetables available to us now at the farmer's market that really we're doing ourselves a favor to learn how to cook them quickly and easily and retain the most nutrients. So I, I kind of recommend this in your former book as kind of doing a favor to ourselves. Tell me something with regard to your cooking classes, getting back to that topic and what you've learned from your clients. Do you find that most people 
once they learn how to cook, they never go back. You know, is it, is it sort of like one of these life skills, these aha moments where, where you've changed people's lives forever? I believe so. I'd like to think so anyway. I, you know, I think there's, there's much more to it than just the skill of cooking. There's part of that nourishment and nurturing. And I have a lot of people say to me, and I'm actually going to write about this, well, I'm just cooking for me. Yeah. Like, what do you mean just for you? Like, are you not the most important person on this earth? I mean, if you don't take care of you, who are you going to take care of? So there's this, like, notion, like, it's just me. And it's like, wait a minute. I mean, so I think it's just a shift in how you think. And so I think for a lot of people, once they realize, oh, if I cook, I mean, I cook so simply that it's almost ludicrous that I write cookbooks. Because really, I mean, I cook a pot of brown rice, a pot of quinoa, you know, maybe two different types of beans or lentils, and then I fill in with fresh vegetables in various forms. And that's what I eat. Mm -hmm. And you look great. You're fit. You're strong. You're healthy. You are a testament to a healthy vegetarian. And that was the other topic that I wanted to touch on with you because it's not just about cooking. It's knowing what to cook. And many people want to go towards a more vegetarian style of eating because of whether they're concerned about the earth or their own personal health. And yet there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. I, I've often told teenagers that becoming a vegetarian is not about eating at McDonald's and ordering everything but the burger. So tell me, what are some strategies to eating well as a vegetarian? I guess the number one strategy is to eat real food, to eat whole food in its natural form. So eat beans, eat grains, eat nuts, seeds, olives, avocados, and lots and lots of vegetables, and then fruit in season. And so I think if you, this is what I tell my classes, if you start with a great product, you're going to end up with good food, even if you kind of mess it up. Mm -hmm. Do you also find people who are overly restricting their diets? I don't find a lot of them. I think that the main thing, the restriction is not like a conscious thing, like what's the name of that thing that they call it, um, which is kind of funny, you know, where, where people are being restrictive in what they're eating by eating healthy. Oh, oh orthorexia. yes. Yes, yes. I mean, oh, that drives me crazy. I'm like, it's unnatural to choose healthy food. Like, is it not the other part that's unnatural, choosing all that not-so-good food? Exactly. But the main thing is most people are afraid to try something new. Yeah. So, like, you mentioned kohlrabi to me. You know, that is usually my stump the audience vegetable. Right. I hold it up. I go, does anybody know what this is? And literally out of a class of 50, 60, three people will know. One is from Europe, one is from the Midwest, <laughs> and one loves vegetables. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's actually a game that you can play with people, and you show them the cross-sections of candy bars. And then you show them different kinds of vegetables, obscure vegetables, and most people can identify every single candy bar, but not so hot on the kohlrabi and the parsnips, you know. But our grandparents knew these foods, and I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we limit ourselves to so few fruits and vegetables. And I think the glory of knowing how to cook these things and well and having access to more and more farmers' markets, it's a wonderful combination to our good health. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think people need to just get over the fear and try a new vegetable and see if they like it. 
and try a new method of preparing. Now, you've also got, I want to get into some of the recipes in here because they're quite interesting, and I wouldn't have thought that you could do soup in a pressure cooker. Soups are the best. They are so good, and that's how I got my start was with Shane, my son, Shane's fabulous lentil soup. Because he loved lentil soup. He was three. He loved lentil soup. I thought, I'm going to be the best mother in the world. I'm going to make lentil soup anytime he asks. 20 minutes, start to finish, put it in a bowl, throw in an ice cube because it's 250 degrees and say, here, honey. Yeah. And soup is so, I don't know, it's just such a loving food to give someone, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. And, you know, I make, I mean, I had to limit the number of soups I put in, but My recipes, when they start, are not recipes because I'm just cooking. And I say, actually, I'm like the worst blogger in the world because I eat the food before I photograph it. And so there's nothing left. But, you know, they start because I'm like, oh, I have some black-eyed peas. Oh, I have some corn. Oh, look, I have, you know, some sun-dried tomatoes. Oh, I think I'll make soup. Well, you've got some wonderful recommendations or acknowledgments in the beginning of your book. And one is from Christina Perello, who's the author of This Crazy Vegan Life, A Prescription for an Endangered Species. And I love what she says. She says, pressure cooking is the most underrated form of cooking, in my view. A pressure cooker is a must-have item in any kitchen due to its even heat, the fact that it cooks food in a shorter time with less loss of nutrients to steam, and that it cooks at a higher temperature than boiling, which is great for tougher foods like whole grains, beans, and harder veggies. Pressure cooking produces food that is as tender and delicious as if it were roasted in the oven, but in many cases the resulting dish is more moist and delicious. Get one now. (laughs) But don't just get one without this terrific book, The New Fast Food, The Veggie Queen Pressure Cooks Whole Food Meals. I will vouch for Jill's culinary skills and her marvelous, friendly way of presenting these recipes. Jill, is there anything that you'd like to add that I neglected to bring up in our conversation? You've pretty much covered it all, Melinda. I mean, I think you could just say I have a website, and I'm always open to questions, and people can go to my website, which is theveggiequeen.com. My husband says to me, you really answer the questions? I'm like, of course I do. Yeah, this is terrific. And if we're not lucky enough to live in California and be able to take one of your classes in person, do go to the veggiequeen.com website because it is a wonderful resource. And I love that you can have a conversation with people that email you. And you can also order the DVD so you can invite some friends over and do your own little cooking class. Or you can fly me to where you are and I'll do it for you. Exactly, exactly. Well, Jill, I'd like for you to leave us with a recommendation or two of some of your favorite recipes in this book. Which would we try first? Oh, my favorite recipes. Well, it, you know, Melinda, that is really hard. It would depend on the time of year. Right. Really. But, you know, one that I love in the winter is this maple winter squash with mashed maple winter squash with cinnamon. Mm-hmm. I make a, you know, I have the names of the recipes off the top of my head. Oh, my friend's favorite, actually, is this curried beets, cabbage, and carrots. Oh, and perfect for the early summer. Right, and then there's one I love when broccoli is like when you can get those nice, beautiful little broccoli. It's called Big Time Broccoli. It's broccoli, thyme, and stock, and it takes one minute at pressure. 
Well, we've got to close, but you have created lots of mouth-watering recommendations for us. I want to thank you so much. We've been speaking with Jill Nussenau. She is a culinary educator, a registered dietitian, prolific writer, and the author of two terrific books. One, The Veggie Queen, Vegetables Get the Royal Treatment, and her latest, The New Fast Food, The Veggie Queen Pressure Cooks, Whole Food Meals in Less Than 30 Minutes. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Himmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Jill, thank you so much for helping us all eat better and protect the earth at the same time. Thank you, Melinda. It's my pleasure. 